one question that I found particularly curious was, why is it that we all have basically the same information and the same cognitive resources, but can come to like wildly different conclusions about the world? And so I began taking a kind of engineer's lens to that question. So I, I switched my major to philosophy and tried to figure out like, what are the views that people have had over the, the you know, the, the time that we've been documenting these ideas in philosophy and, and in other ways? And like, what are the actual arguments? And should I be persuaded to change my own views about things? And uh, that kind of led me down this road of studying reasoning and things like critical thinking or what I call reflective reasoning. This is the ORISE Feature Cast, a special edition of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz for conversations with ORISE experts on STEM workforce development, scientific and technical reviews, and the evaluation of radiation exposure and environmental contamination. You'll also hear from ORISE research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE Feature Cast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of the ORISE Futurecast where we talk about everything ORISE. Um, most recently, we've been talking to some of our research program participants and today we are talking to Nick Bird, who is a participant in the intelligence community postdoctoral research program. Nick, welcome to the ORISE Futurecast. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Michael. Great, great to be here. So Nick, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so my background is um, originally I was an engineering major, but eventually got interested in some kind of big questions and changed my major to philosophy and then actually started studying some cognitive science. And uh, the engineering part of me has kind of remained. I, I'm really interested in trying to figure out how things work, uh, but I guess I now apply that attitude to how the mind works, so to speak, or how thinking works or how bias works and how debiasing might work, things like that. Uh, and so I've studied mostly philosophy, but also uh, lots of cognitive science, some neuroscience, some computer science as well. And uh, upon graduating from the doctoral program, was on the job market and saw this really neat opportunity with the uh, intelligence community postdoctoral program at uh, ORAU uh, on Zintellect and coordinated with some people at Carnegie Mellon University to submit an application and have been doing that since 2020. Awesome. So for folks who are listening, the um, Intelligence Community Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program um, offers scientists and engineers from a wide variety of disciplines the opportunity to conduct research on a wide variety of topics related to the intelligence community. So Nick, can you talk about the kind of research that you have been doing for the program? Sure. So uh, we have been studying what the uh, intelligence community original call, uh, they termed it belief-driven thinking. And you can kind of think of this as a series of cognitive biases, right? So whenever we encounter some sort of task or question or something like that, we probably have some initial impulse or initial belief about it. Um, and you can imagine like say in um, say politics, what that initial impulse might be and how that our like past experiences and beliefs or identity even could be informing that initial impulse. And sometimes these initial impulses are fine. Uh, in social settings are, you know, uh, when I see somebody's face make a certain expression, my initial interpretation of their face is often correct, right? We're like pretty good at identifying faces and interpreting faces. Sure. Uh, but, but there's other impulses that we might want to check. 
and maybe uh, subject to criticism or critical thinking or something like that. And so this is something that we're uh, interested in doing and figuring out the easiest, most light touch ways that we can help people reconsider their initial impulse and if applicable, improve it. And so we're developing software that can help us study this in a controlled environment at scale online, which is something that's previously been uh, impossible or else very difficult to do. And uh, we're also studying how this can work in terms of the way you present information to people. And so you can present people with, say, just like a wall of text um, okay. to change their mind, or you can kind of visualize the logic of the argument that exists in that text so that they don't have to reconstruct it in their own mind, kind of making it easier for them to understand the logic. And uh, that we're studying the effects of that as well. Gotcha. So is the end goal to understand how that works to um and then not necessarily change people's minds but help them understand how they got there yeah so from a basic research standpoint one of the questions is like how how does this process of reconsidering your original judgment and like kind of considering some reasons for other judgments how does that work in general and then what other um parts of our reasoning environment might help us do that, right? So one thing we're finding is that interacting with another person who disagrees with you is much more likely to get you to reconsider your initial response than if you just try to figure out a problem on your own with no one else there. And so um, in a sort of applied research setting, we're interested in, like you said, like how we can get people to think more critically or, or reflectively. Um, and I suppose that would result in people changing their minds, but we're not interested in changing people's minds in one direction or another, unless it's just like um, changing it for the better when there is a demonstrably better answer, right? So I mentioned politics. Um, there, you know, it's debatable what the best answers are there. Uh, but sure. we give people, we give also give people like logic puzzles and math puzzles that are designed to trick them into a particular answer, and. Um, we try to see, like, do they fall for, for the trick initially, and what types of thinking and reasoning environments lead them to overcome that faulty intuition and come to the, the better response. Gotcha. So it's more about the critical thinking right. um, and understanding how to do that better, as opposed to, um, as, as I said earlier, it's not about changing minds. It's more about understanding how you got to that initial impulse and what to do now that you now that you're there <laughs> right right putting it in a broader context so indeed and and i guess you can kind of imagine how this would be of interest to the intelligence community right so you can kind of think of um the intelligence process as a, as a very long process that starts with like you know trying to figure out what the biggest and most important questions are uh from an intelligence standpoint all the way to you know the president's daily briefing right and there's right. decision points all along the way um, from the analysts um, who have to make certain decisions about what information to seek and um, what their evaluation of that information is. And then there's various feedback mechanisms within the intelligence community to shape the report before it ever becomes um, kind of a, a final document. And then um, there's decision points um, in the reception of that information, whether it's the president or some of the president's staff or other, or other people in other organizations. It's not always just the president who views these sure. documents, right? And so um, insofar as biases can impact all of these tiny decisions along the way, um, there's value in trying to figure out what, what could have been done to uh, overcome any sort of undesirable outcomes of, of various biases. 
and obviously there's only so much you can do, right? You, uh, we, we don't have access to uh, most of these people, uh, but we can study some of the simple light touch interventions that might help improve the process. Gotcha, and bias is such an important issue, um, not just in our you know, conversation, but in the research and the information that's presented to us, um, which comes at us, you know, as you know, fast and furiously every day, right? We are inundated with information and there's bias in how it's presented, um, you know, the perspective it's presented from, but it's helpful for us, um, I think, and it sounds like this may be where the research is leading is to sort of take a step back and put it in context of, you know, stepping away from our biases and trying to step away from the bias of the presentation and be more clear in digesting and discerning the information that that we, and I say we globally, but as people are receiving. That's right. Yeah. And philosophers have been talking about this, this idea of reflection in almost exactly those terms. In fact, some of them have used that, that very metaphor of stepping back. And so this idea of stepping back from an initial impulse to kind of reconsider it is key to the, in the history of ideas about how we kind of reflect and maybe overcome our initial impulse. But it's also pretty key in the way we think about designing the tests that are supposed okay. to measure this kind of thinking process as well. So I, th I think you're right on. Awesome. Um, so what happens next in terms of the research? I mean, it sounds like you're in the middle of it. Um, right. So we are at the point where we've analyzed a large portion of the data and maybe have a little bit of data left to analyze, but the findings are already, you know, telling a pretty clear story. Um, I guess I can share in broad strokes because we're, we're not yet uh, at the stage of publication, but I think I've alluded to some of the, the, the things to you already, but um, just to summarize them all in one place, it would seem that, like I said, discussing something with someone who disagrees with you. So you encounter a problem that tricks you, then you get to talk about it with another person who had a different impulse. That situation seems to be producing the best results in terms of getting people to change their initial impulse for the better, okay. as opposed to changing it in some other direction. And again, these are on uh, the types of tests that have demonstrably correct and incorrect answers. And when I say better, uh, that it's the discussion is better than trying to figure it out on your own. And it's even better than trying to figure it out on your own or discussing with another person with a financial incentive for getting to the right answer. So okay. one short way of thinking about this would be saying that conversation seems to be better than cash, which I think for some people, like maybe in economics, this would be a bit surprising. Uh, and, uh, and maybe people in social psychology would think this is a valuable insight. <laughs> that conversation could potentially, in some contexts, be better than cash. Wow, that's, that's an interesting um, concept, an interesting thought, for sure. Um, so Nick, let's talk about you for a little bit. You said that um, your background is largely in philosophy. Was um, science ever, have you had an interest in science, technology, engineering, you know, math, all of those topics. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my grandfather was an engineer and uh, I grew up, um, you know, when I was very young, you know, working with Legos and trying to just take things apart and rebuild them and understand all that. And then when I was a, a, allowed to start using power tools, I would build things and break things and rebuild them. And um, 
in high school, I worked, uh, you know, construction and, and things like that. And so I, I thought I might want to become an architect or an engineer. And I started studying that. And it was in one of the calculus sequences where I thought, this is uh, a bit more challenging than I realized. I think it was like Calc 2 or Calc 3. And so I took a step back, uh, to, to use that phrase again, and I just considered my other options. And I remember at the time being also interested in understanding people. One question that I found particularly curious was, why is it that we all have basically the same information and the same cognitive resources, but can come to like wildly different conclusions about the world? And so I began taking a kind of engineer's lens to that question. So I, I switched my major to philosophy and tried to figure out like, what are the views that people have had over the, the you know, the, the time that we've been documenting these ideas in philosophy and, and in other ways? And like, what are the actual arguments? And should I be persuaded to change my own views about things? And then I started, you know, getting into the cognitive science of this, where you can use, uh, you know, experiments and observational studies to better understand what it is that maybe attracts people to certain views or gets people to change their mind, if, if at all. And uh, that kind of led me down this road of studying reasoning and things like critical thinking or what I call reflective reasoning. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. And so here you are um, working in this postdoctoral fellowship program and really doing some interesting work that really sort of fits all of your passions. Yeah, it's been a, a, an amazing opportunity. The intelligence community postdoc program is something I, I would recommend to really any graduate student who's who's approaching uh, the job market or is already on the job market. It's um, frankly, it's a, a well-resourced uh, postdoctoral program, more so than I would say maybe any other postdoctoral opportunities I know about in this country. And it is uh, something that allows for enormous flexibility. So in this program, there's no teaching responsibility, but there are there's funding for things like travel. There's funding for uh, the research lab. Uh, the person who advises the postdoc also gets resources out of this. Uh, so it's kind of a win for everyone. That's great. And you're going to leave the program with at least some published work, right? So. Right. That's right. Yeah. So we'll be submitting papers for publication very soon. and. Um, and I not only do I have the, the publications to go with this, but I'll have, you know, a wide range of experience. Like we had to develop software with computer scientists. And that's something that not all academics have the luxury of doing. Sure. Um, and, you know, presenting some of our findings at various places uh, has been a, a really great way to grow the network. Um, and it, not just in academia, but in industry and even in government. So it's, it's been a, a very fruitful experience. That's amazing. Nick, unless there's anything else I haven't covered, um, it sounds like you you already answered my question about recommending the program for other uh, postdocs. So um, it sounds like that's a definite yes, absolutely. Um, be part of this program if you can. If you'd like more information as you're listening, um, do a quick Google search for the ORISE Intelligence Community Postdoctoral Fellowship and uh, You'll, you'll find more information about the program that Nick has been talking about. It sounds like it's been a great experience for you. It has, uh, and I would just say that faculty also should maybe think about this. So if faculty are looking for postdocs but don't yet have a grant that allows them to have a postdoc, all they need to do is um, you know, uh, create a call for a postdoc that fulfills one of the needs that um, is on the Zintellect website or on uh, sometimes it's posted to the ORISE website. And then that would give them a way of getting a postdoc through the ORISE Intelligence Community postdoc program. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, 
it's been great talking about the work that you've been doing um, in your fellowship program. So thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise feature cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.oreu.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ORISE Connect. The Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education is managed by ORAU for the U.S. Department of Energy.